last week of the series that we call White Space. And so um, you say, well, this is my first time here, and I, I feel like I'm catching the last five minutes of a movie. Well, no, this, this, this uh, sermon could stand alone all by itself. This would, could stand all by itself. Because when we look at this concept of white space, we've been looking at it over and over again. And it's pretty much just a design term, if you're not familiar with it. And Apple products, a number of other big marketers use it on a regular basis. And it's pretty much just whatever canvas they have. Whether that be a billboard or a newspaper ad or a magazine ad or, or the television. That they leave a whole lot of the space unused. So that what they do place on there can stand out so that it really it doesn't get lost in the clutter that is what this series is about it's about making sure that our lives who we are who god is what really matters doesn't get messed up and lost in the clutter so if you've got your U version app open or your old school paper notes that we hand you let's just go ahead and then get into this message because life can easily get cluttered with lots of important things that can crowd out what really matters hopefully very little very few of us say that we spend our days doing stuff that just didn't important at all hopefully we don't go you know what actually i spend about four or five hours a day doing worthless things i would say most of us would not say that most of us in this room would say you know what i get out of bed in the morning My feet hit the floor, and I'm doing something important. I'm getting ready for work. I'm going to work. I'm eating lunch. I'm coming home. I'm dealing with dinner. I'm dealing with the kids. I'm prepping for the next day. I'm doing all of these different things. And from the moment my eyes pop open till I finally lay my weary head down, everything I do has some form of validity. So the truth is, is most of the stuff in our lives we feel like is important. Most of it we feel like it is. But the problem is, is all of that stuff can come in and begin to totally, totally take over and crowd out what really, really, really matters. Now, it's not a, uh, it's not a big mystery in my home that I'm not much of a multitasker. No, everybody's aware of it. That if I'm not looking at you, I'm probably not listening to you. And so, and if I am... If I am listening to you, then I'm not actually focused on what I'm looking at. So if I'm listening at the computer, all of a sudden I stop. And my posture may not change, but now, and I'm just not good at it. I admire you people who can like do all sorts of different things at the same time. And I am just not one of those. I am I'm horribly so. And when something grabs my attention, it grabs my attention. And the big joke in our house is that apparently I have this, this uh, attraction to these sad, cheesy Disney Channel shows. <laughs> Y'all don't amen that loud. That's enough of that. But I will walk in my bag from the office. I'll spend the day at the office. I walk in, and I come in. And thankfully, my older kids have outgrown this, and so and I'm in a little window where we don't do this anymore. But for a long time, there would be like the old sweet life of Zach and Cody and that kind of stuff would be on the television and I would walk in the door and I'm in my living room and I'm standing there and it's like my eyes catch the television and I just stop my bag's on my shoulder chair's that far away 
and I just stand there and watch it. And then somebody says, hey, would you like to join us? I'm like, what am I, what am I doing? I just, something grabs my attention, and I just stay there, and I just so appreciate that other people can multitask. One of my early fatherhood memories was when Brooklyn was about two years old. And Brooklyn was a chatterbox. I mean, that girl would talk all the time. So, consequently, I, I didn't listen all the time. I tried to catch the important stuff, I thought. And I was sitting on the couch watching something that hopefully wasn't the Disney Channel. And... Um, and so my daughter was standing on the couch beside me, and all of a sudden, I, I don't even consciously remember there being a voice there. All of a sudden, my face just turns. Just somebody yanks my head. And two-year-old little hands on each side of my face. And she, now all of a sudden, she's right in my face, and she says, Daddy, listen to me! Come on. I am so sorry that it takes that kind of drastic action to get my attention. But folks, that's the way so many of us are. And what we don't want to do is be that with God. We don't want to do that with God. We don't want to sit there and have this kind of relationship that it feels like he's got to like grab our little cheeks and go, guess what, son? Guess what, daughter? Listen to me for a minute. We are the ones that are going to have to make the thing because God does not do that. Sometimes I wish he would. Sometimes I wish he'd grab my little jaws and just go, hey, boy. I'm, <laughs> he might, dear. And, uh, but that's just not the way it is. So we have to purpose to put ourselves in a place where we can listen to the Lord. Psalms 127, verse 1 and 2. We've been looking at this every time we get together in this series. Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. And unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. And in vain you rise early in the morning and stay up late, toiling for food to eat. And you've forgotten this peace. For God grants sleep to those he loves. Does he give us assignments to do? Absolutely. Do we have things in life that God is is coaching us in and he's created us for and the Holy Spirit's working in us? Absolutely. But it is not to the point that we're to run to physical exhaustion constantly. He grants sleep to those he loves. Part of us walking in our assignment is remembering that you know what, the assignment may be big but the results are his responsibility and he's a big God. And the part he gives to us is to trust him and to walk in it and leave the results up to him not all of a sudden try to own them And remember that his burden is light and his yoke is easy. And he can have us in the middle of this big rock the world kind of assignment. And it's still easy and light and we flow in that. Ultimately, our discipleship process, our discipleship process is growing in in us being able to be involved with things bigger and bigger and bigger than us. And still walk in a place of lightness with the Lord. If the little stuff crumbles us, then we're not going to step onto the bigger things. It's just not going to happen. We're to grow in this. Ecclesiastes 2, 22 through 23 says, What do people get for all the toil 
and anxious striving which they labor under the sun. What do they get? They're working hard. They're really, they're, they're getting it done. These aren't the lazy people. These aren't the people that, that just stay and, and watch TV all day and, and never get out of their pajamas. Although it's, it's okay, Russ, every once in a while, but it's not get out of your pajamas. And so, but these aren't the people that do this all the time. These people are getting it done. But what good is it? All their days, their work is grief and pain. And even at night, their minds do not rest. This too is meaningless. God has called us to a place of being able to rest. And guess what? If you're one of those that have a hard time when you lay your head down at night, turning it off, trusting tomorrow with him and getting a good night's sleep, guess what? There's hope for that. You can really relax. You can really trust in him. He really does have tomorrow. He really is the God of yesterday, today, and forever. So the truth is, is that busyness and clutter, they produce confusion. And confusion produces doubt. This busyness and clutter, they end up, they simply end up just producing confusion. Since white space is about art and graphic design, any of you ever seen a piece of art or some sort of picture and there's just too much in it? There's just too much going on? You're like, man, this is just too busy. I don't even get what this is about. That constantly, constantly happens. There's actually a little app for your iPhone that you can do to be able to send some secret messages. And those secret messages are hidden in a bunch of busyness. And then there's this little filter you can use to make the busyness go away. And all of a sudden, what really matters? Let's go ahead. I've got a picture of, the, of what it looks like. I sent a secret message. You might can see it in there, but it's, it, there's a lot of busyness, and it's hard to decipher what's there. But when all of a sudden, when you have the, take the busyness away, then you can see what really matters. Can you see it? Can you all at the top see it? I can see it up here. Huh? Well, this was an epic fail. There we go. You're just going to have to trust me that it works. Uh, whoo, this, this preacher blew it. There we go. All right, let's pray and go home. It said when the business goes away, it's one of those little apps. You used to play the little games where... It, has like, I don't remember if it's like taboo or password or something like that. You slide it in the little red thing and all of a sudden you can read it. Well, this used use a little red filter and you can read that it said, Brand loves cutie. And so it was a little message. There's a little message to my wife this morning. And, um, <laughs> hey, dear. And, uh, she did, she did say something. Anyways, the, uh, the whole point is the fact that the, the busyness is what clouds it. The busyness is what makes it where it's there. The good stuff's there. We just don't really connect with it. In fact, in school, we're taught to simplify things. And you, you go through math and ultimately you are, learn all the tricks to, be in, to simplify an equation. There's probably some of you who are just sharp enough to immediately go, if I tell you, take 7,574 and divide it by 3,787, like you already have the answer. 
but most of us have to pull out our little phones and do the calculator. But most of us, when you simplify it down, most of us can go 2 divided by 1 equals 2. When it's simplified, the answers begin to stand out. It's not as complex. It's not as difficult. See, the clutter simply makes things so much more difficult. 1 Corinthians 14.33 says, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. Our, our uh, armed forces and our local uh, police, they'll use these little things called flashbangs, which put out a lot of light and a lot of noise and all this kind of stuff. And if they go in, then they will, and they want to, the SWAT has to go in and take some bad guys out. They send in these flashbangs, and all of a sudden these people are minding their own business, and, all, and just total chaos is just presented. Big loud noise, big blinding light. They have no idea what to do. The good guys, the SWAT, know what to do. They go in, they take care of, and the whole point is to keep everybody safe because they're able to go in and get things done in the middle of the other person's confusion. Well, guess what? We have an enemy who wants to come in and wreak havoc in our lives. And this busyness and confusion is one of the biggest places where we can open ourselves up for it. Psalms 46.10a says, Be still and know that I am God. I honestly am convinced that most of us keep our lives so busy because we are intimidated of being alone with our thoughts. We're intimidated of being quiet and alone with God. And we're afraid of what's going to bubble to the surface and what's going to come out and what we're going to be forced to deal with. I tell you what, I didn't, even, I didn't realize it until I hit some really hard things in my adult life. And I didn't realize that my, I have a coping mechanism of just getting busy. And we, my wife and I had, had dealt with some, some tough things. And uh, we had a couple of miscarriages, and they were very, very, very hard for us. And she dealt with it so much better than I. She dealt with it head on, and she processed, processed it. And I raked the leaves or got busy on a project around the house or I worked later at the office or I did these other things. And I hid inside of the busyness. And it wasn't until she was confronted me over it that I realized what trap I was falling into so many of us fall in to this same trap over and over again and we have this promise as the children of God that as we really get still all of the other mess is not what's waiting what we think is waiting on us isn't as we really still our minds the truth that God is ours and we are his is what will come to the surface And all of that other mess that we're trying to avoid, he will walk us through that piece by piece. And we'll find, and we'll be able to to get through all of it. The clutter we try to hide in is stuff that's separating us from God. And if we'll be still before God, he'll let that clutter begin to push away. And really get eliminated from our lives. John 6, 28 through 29 says, And then they asked him, What must we do to do the works God requires? Now, this is a funny question to me. This is just a goofy question to me. Because this is asked by some Jews. 
which they have lists of things that, to do that God requires. They got lists and lists of them they were, that they weren't accomplishing perfectly. And then they come to Jesus. And whether he would, they were hoping he would make the list shorter, look, really, there's a bunch of this. What's really important? They don't clarify it. But these are people who have tons of stuff that God requires as Jewish people. And then they come to him and says, what must we do to do the work that God requires? The work. What, I, what work do I have to do? What work is God asking of me? God, I'll just do the work. Give me the Herculean task and I'll go out there and I'll please you, God. And I love what Jesus answered. The work of God is this, man. They had their little iPhones out with their notes app open. Man, they were sitting there. They were just ready to rock. Here it is. This is the work that God requires. I'm going to get this down. Here's the work that God requires. To believe in the one he has sent. Seriously? That's what he's requiring? It's just faith in the one he sent? Yes. It's not the list. It's not the Herculean task. It's not all of that other stuff where we can uh, puff our chests and say, I accomplished it, I did it. God, you threw down the gauntlet and said, I asked this of you, and I accomplished it. No, it's just believe in the one that he has sent. I think that's another piece of why we don't want to get alone with God. Because we're afraid he's going to give us his own version of the honeydew list. God, if all of a sudden I show you I've kind of got some free time that I can get quiet with you, well, then you're going to give me the list of chores I've got to do. You're going to send me to Africa or someplace like that. Or ask me to show up at church at 7 o'clock on the setup team, and we do need help. But the, the, uh, the, the piece is, is that we're, we are intimidated about getting alone with God because we think he's going to ask all this, and all he's asking is for us to just trust him, just believe him. See, we can be confident of our relationship with God because of Jesus. We can be confident, not wandering, but confident of our relationship with God because of Jesus. Ephesians 3, 12, in him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You realize when Jesus said that all you got to do is believe, that the guy that would approach the throne of grace, the mercy seat, he had a rope tied around his ankle and bells on the bottom of his clothes and he would walk around and if the guy had not done the process just right then they were convinced that he would kill over and die there's nothing in the scripture said that ever happened but in their mind they created this there's nothing in the scripture says that ever took place but they went through all these precautions and tie the rope around their ankle and go in. And then in case the guy dies in there, they didn't want to send somebody else. And they would just drag him out with the rope. If you've got to put bells on so people can hear you walking around and you've got to have a rope in case you kill over, is that approaching God with freedom and confidence? No way. No way. But in Christ... 
the God of the universe. We have access to him and we can approach him with freedom and confidence. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and the assurance about things we do not see. About things we don't see. Hebrews 11, that's the kickoff verse of, of what we refer to as the hall of faith. Where all these guys get listed for their, their acts of faith. And then Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it's impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You must believe that he's really there and that he is there to, to, to be good to those who are coming after him with a, for him with a pure heart, who are earnestly seeking him. And then it gets into this whole list of all of these different guys in the Old, in the old Covenant that go through and do these acts of faith. And then they give all of their acts of faith with Noah building the ark and rescuing his family and, and Moses and Abraham and Isaac, okay? And, that, and all of these different things. But let's, let's take a big picture look at it. Let's take a big picture look at it and let's look at these guys the way we tend to look at ourselves. You know, thank goodness the only guy who's known by his failure in the New Testament is Thomas. For old doubting Thomas. Nobody calls Peter old ear slashing Peter. You know. Or uh, rain down fire and brimstone John and James. That's a long one. You're right. <laughs> doubting is pretty easy to do. But we have Noah. Noah, we're about to get to watch uh, a big old movie on hopefully this screen right here, about Noah coming up in just a few weeks. Man, he did some awesome stuff. Trusted God and heard God on something that nobody else did. But right on the hills out, afterwards, after he does all of that, we've gone through the story before that Noah ends up naked, drunk, and passed out. So there he is in his tent. He's, he's somehow in his getting drunk, he got naked too. We don't know if he got naked first and then got drunk or what happened. Or is it kind of a thing both kind of escalated? We don't know. But he got so to that place that he passed out. And he's just sprawled out on the floor of his tent naked. And this boy comes to see him. And sees him in there. And freaks out and he handles it all wrong and tells his brothers. But this is Noah. Oh, passed out naked drunk Noah is commended for his faith. We have Abraham. Abraham, awesome Abraham. God loads up, goes out to a country. God would show him. He sits there, has a son at like 100 years old. I mean, just awesome Abraham. Abraham cowardly lies about his wife being his sister so that he would not die. Here he is marching through a foreign land and he tells his sweetheart, you good looking, baby. Tell them you're my sister or they will kill me to have you. Instead of him saying, oh, baby, I'll defend your honor. I'm going to go down swinging. Sure enough, he says, he's the, she says, who is this? Well, this is your sister. Well, sure enough, she was good looking. They're like, well, I'll take you. And then he does nothing about it. 
His wife is there in a house with another man who has every intention of enjoying her beauty. And he's just sitting there. He doesn't mount a rescue. We know it's in his blood because he gets 400 guys to go rescue Lot, his, his nephew. But he didn't even go rescue, rescue his woman. How many movies have been made about one guy being willing to go rescue his woman? Abraham. That movie is, we don't make that movie. Woo, kick, the one, kick my cutie to the curb. Woo, woo, they were going to kill me. I'm glad I'm out of there. God had to intervene through dreams and visions and show this guy. And God gives him back his woman. And somehow, somehow Sarah has his kid after this happens. I think that's the miracle. I think that's the miracle. Isaac, his son, in the hall of faith, does the same thing his daddy did. Cowardly lies about his good-looking woman being his sister. Same thing has to happen. He followed in the footsteps of his dad's mistakes. Jacob, Isaac's son, he lied about everything. That guy, his name was Deceiver. He dressed up as his brother, whether at his mom put goat's hair and stole the birthright. And because it was an act of faith, faith somehow that ended up being honored. Sarah, who has the baby in her old age, when, the, when God shows up to say it, she laughs at God. She laughs at him. And it wasn't this, hoo, 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 that's so cute, God. No, it's a mocking laugh. Like, you're full of it. And guess what Isaac, her son's name is? It means in Hebrew, laughter. Now, you want to laugh? I'll show you some laughs. I'll give you some laughter. Here it is. Here's your, here's your boy. She laughs in the face of God. She's in the hall of faith. Joseph was arrogant, spent time in jail, and lied and played tricks on his brothers. Hall of faith. Moses murdered a man. Buries him in the sand. Flees for his life. In the hall of faith. The people of Israel. Oh my gosh. You want to just read through Exodus. You want to just pull your hair out. And just like skip. These people drive me crazy God. These people get recommended as a group. In the hall of faith. Yet they whined and complained. And worshipped other gods. They create a golden calf. And says this is the calf that parted the Red Sea for us. The timeline don't even work. You created it after the fact. This is just goofy. And these are those people that are recommended in the hall of faith. Rahab the prostitute. I think that's self-explanatory. Gideon. Gideon had a huge self-doubt issue. Huge self-doubt issue. The guy just, God's telling him all these great things and he's just doubting God. Samson was a womanizer and arrogant and hot-headed. And is in the, commended in the hall of faith. David was an adulterer and murderer and commended in the hall of faith. We tend to think about these people as these spotless Bible heroes. And they were not remotely spotless. But they trusted God. See, these, as we read down into the next, as we get Hebrews 11 is our, the is our list of the heroes of our faith. 
Hebrews 12 opens up. We just read about all these guys. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these guys are our witnesses. These are our great, awesome witnesses. They have these epic failures in their lives. But here, in this list, their failures aren't talked about. Their mess-ups aren't talked about. Where they trusted and they believed God is what was talked about. Since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people who dealt with the same kind of stuff we deal with, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily ensnares or entangles us. They did it. They threw it off. They pressed on and believed God. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. The writer of Hebrews also writes, Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need when is our time of need you know when your time of need is your time of need is usually the last place you want to really address God the last place where you want to go woohoo God look at me look at me look what I'm in the middle of we don't want to do that in those moments but because of who we are in Christ, then when we realize that we are in need of mercy and grace, then we can call on Him in that moment. That's what gets us out of it. That's what carries us forward. We can call on Him. See, being sure that Jesus is enough gives us confidence to draw near to God and to see His work completed in us. See, His work starts when we say yes to Jesus and we step from death to life and we come in our broken, messed up shambles of a life and we give it to him. And then the rest of our lives is a process of the the new life in us working from the inside out. And the only way that that works is if you are convinced that you are heaven ready right now, that God is for you, and that in the middle of your time of need and in your need of mercy, you can go to God and you can get it. Otherwise, you will be stuck in the same old traps forever. And you will simply be heaven ready and the Christ in you will never be fully revealed. But when you recognize that you're not have to earn it from him, that it is there and is yours freely, then when you need it the most, you can crawl, call out to him and he will change your life forever. Hebrews 10. And where these have been forgiven... Sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Oh, isn't that so good? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. That is the hope. That is the hope. 
That is why we can be honest about where we are. Our discipleship process at Celebration Church is is being honest with two questions over and over and over again. Where are you and which way forward from here? We look up and you say, where am I? Well, I'm in the middle of a deep place of need. Well, we can go to God with grace. And he has a forward from here. He does. God is there for us. He is there for us. See, as we seek to truly know God and trust him, our entire lives will align around those things that matter the most. They just will. Our work is to believe on the one that was sent. Keep our ears open, make some white space in our life, and have be still and know that he is God, and allow him to work in us. And we look up five years from now, and we're significantly different people in a good way than we were five years ago. And we look up five years after that, and some more change has taken place. And God has done this beautiful thing of moving us from faith to faith, from glory to glory. And that's what growing as a believer is all about. It's his work in us. And it starts with that simple place of recognizing that you need a Savior in Jesus' help. So I want to create a quiet moment here. If you can just bow your heads. And if you're here this morning and you, you want to embrace that, you say, Brandon, I, I've, I've heard about Jesus all my life, but I've never really understood what Jesus was. 